morning, Joy Church. Good morning. My name is Becca, and some of you might be thinking, that's not Jake, that's not Bethany, that's not anyone I have ever seen up here. You would be correct. I'm the kids' pastor here at Joy, so usually I find myself on the other side of the building on Sunday mornings with the kids, and um, I just wanted to share this real quick for all the parents out there. Last week, my husband Nathaniel and I were with the kids in elementary, and we were singing that Raise a Hallelujah song and the kids were singing, or they might say singing. They were singing their little hearts out, and it almost brought us to tears. So I just want to share that for all you parents out there. If you think like, oh, they're probably eating fruit snacks, well, we do that too, but um, they have this authentic relationship with the Lord because a relationship with God has no age on it, right? So anyways, um, this month we have been going over a series on discipleship. And discipleship is kind of a Christian-y word that we don't really use a ton anymore. And basically it boils down to learning from a teacher. And in our case, our teacher is Jesus. And when we're disciples of Jesus, we are following him and also bringing people along on that journey. So discipleship really boils down to relationship. And that can feel kind of abstract, you know, but we've been using what we call the four E's to kind of give us handlebars for what that looks like in our day-to-day life. So two weeks ago, Pastor Bethany talked about how we engage culture and community. And then Jake, last week, Pastor Jake talked about how we establish biblical foundations. How do we get established in the Christian faith? What does it mean to be a Christian? And today, we're going to talk about how do we get equipped to minister. And that really means what do we, what tools do we need? How do we get the tools to minister, to serve other people, to make disciples, to share the gospel, to pray for other people? Um, And also the word minister, if you haven't heard Pastor Bethany's sermon two weeks ago, she does a great job of laying out all that that encompasses. Because I think sometimes we put minister in a box to mean like the people up front, you know? But really it's from loving your neighbor and saying hi to them and building that relationship to being a greeter at church on Sunday. It's a very vast like definition of the word. So um, anyways, we're going to be talking about the tools to do that, the tools to minister. And tools are very important, especially when you don't have the right ones. <laughs> so a couple years ago, Nathaniel and I, we wanted to go to the coast. It was my birthday weekend, and I loved to hike. So I asked a coworker at the time who was a very avid hiker, I said, what hike would you recommend? And she gave us one. And I should have thought that I was asking an avid hiker. So that was my first red flag. Didn't cross my mind. We Google it. It says it's moderate. So Nathaniel and I, we've never really looked up hikes online before. So we thought, we're in moderately good shape. We can probably figure this one out, you know? And we didn't, it didn't even cross our minds that people literally die on hikes. Okay, we weren't thinking that far ahead. We were thinking walk and maybe up a steeper mountain than usual. So we drive to the hike, and as we're driving, we're driving up higher and higher in elevation. And it's starting to rain ice. And there was no rain at all. It was a clear, beautiful day on the coast. But by the time we're up to the trailhead, it is raining ice. It is sleeting on us. And we are wearing 
sweats and a sweatshirt, and I have my handy-dandy Starbucks sippy cup in hand because that's how prepared we are. And we start off hiking, and it's great, and we pass the first passerby, hey, how's it going? And they have the walking sticks and the fancy backpack that you drink out of, you know? And you, but you always pass one of those people on a hike, right? It could be a stroll kind of hike, and you pass someone with the walking sticks and the backpack and the boots. And so we didn't really think twice, but then we passed the next person, and they're in the whole boots, backpack, little fancy water thing, and we're like, okay, we're just gonna keep going, it can't be that bad. So we keep going, and now people are coming down the mountain progressively more drenched, because, remind you, it has been raining ice, and we are now drenched in our one layer of clothing that now feels heavy, and so we're climbing, and now it's too late. Now that we've noticed people are coming down with their full gear, it's too late for us to turn around. We have to make it to the peak. We have to. It's muddy, we're gross and wet, so we finally can see the peak. We're like, yes, we made it without anything. We made it. But the peak is across like these four big boulders that are creating a natural bridge. So you have to cross these four big boulders, basically rock climb, over these to get to the peak, and if you slip, you fall to your death. <laughs> so Nathaniel and I look at each other and we say, hmm, we don't want to die today. I guess we are turning around, tail between our legs, going down the mountain. And we start our descent, and we realize why people are wearing hiking boots, not running shoes, because we start slipping. So the way we decided would be best to get down the mountain without breaking a knee is to slide on our rear ends down the mountain. So we are like sliding, and then people with their full-on, their professional hikers are literally standing here waiting for us to slide our behinds down the mountain so that they can pass with all their gear just like strolling up the mountain. So anyways, long story short, we did not have the equipment we needed to hike that mountain well. We did not make it to the top. Tools and the right tools and being well equipped was necessary for us to do what we set out to do. And in that circumstance, we were not well equipped. We were later equipped with humility from that experience. But anyways, we're going to take a quick look. Oh, I think I do have a picture of that hike so that you guys can see what the top does not look like. So yeah, if you slip, you fall. But um, we're going to take a quick look at a video by Pastor Steve Merle, and he's going to kind of break it down what it looks like to be equipped to minister. Acts chapter 9 tells the story of a Pharisee named Saul who was persecuting the church. He was arresting believers, arresting preachers and pastors, throwing them in prison, disrupting the church. By the end of chapter 9, this same Saul is now preaching the gospel. Here's what's interesting. From chapter 1 till the end of chapter 9, how much time has transpired? If you read that chapter carefully, you'll see at most Two weeks have passed from persecutor to preacher. What happened? How did this man come to a place of maturity in Christ to where he was being entrusted with preaching after just a few weeks? Well, that same Saul, later called the Apostle Paul, wrote about the principle and the process of maturity 
to the Ephesian church in chapter 4. And I want to read verse 11. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And so here's, here's what Paul lays out. And I think perhaps he's looking back on his own process of meeting Jesus and of becoming a preacher of the gospel. Verse 11, they're what I call the mentors, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Verse 11, then it goes to verse 12, the mentors created the ministers. God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip God's people to do the work of ministry. So mentors produce ministers. And then in verse 13, it says the end result is those ministers become mature. Here's the problem today in much of the church. We think that maturity is a prerequisite for ministry. In other words, the apostle Paul wrote it, verse 11, mentors, verse 12, ministers, Verse 13, maturity. We've rearranged it today, and so instead of counting 11, 12, 13, now the typical church counts 11, 13, 12. So in other words, we have the mentors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers in verse 11 that bring maturity in verse 13, and then once maturity happens, then we think someone can minister. And so the real question is what comes first? Not the chicken or the egg, but what comes first, maturity or ministry? I think Paul's description in Ephesians 4 shows that ministry comes before maturity. Ministry actually opens up avenues of spiritual maturity. And so when we equip people to do ministry, the end result is maturity. Think about the first time you did a Bible study, the first time you led a small group, the first time you were responsible to teach God's Word. I would imagine you studied more than you had ever studied, you prayed more than you ever prayed, you repented more than you ever repented, you worked hard, and the result was you grew leaps and bounds in your spiritual life. Now, the people in that group may or may not have learned anything, and they may or may not have actually been helped, but the act of doing ministry matured you greatly. That's certainly what happened in my life. The first time I led a small group Bible study, it changed my life. The first time I was entrusted to preach, it changed my life. The opportunity for ministry produced maturity in my life. So if we want to see people equipped, don't wait until they're mature. Equip them to do ministry, and maturity will be amazing. You'll see growth like you've never seen before. So once we engage with the gospel, we establish foundations, we're not now waiting for maturity. We're not waiting for certain number of years to pass or certain amounts of Bible knowledge to be consumed. What we want to do immediately is equip people to do ministry and watch what God does in their lives. All right. I love how he packs so much into five minutes. And I also always wonder when we play those clips what books he has on his shelves because they just, I mean, he's so wise, aside from the Bible. Um, but I want to kind of camp out on how he was saying that we're not waiting for a certain time or thing to happen until we can go minister. I thought that was so powerful. 
We are ready right now. Right now, sitting in your seat, you are ready. You are called by Jesus to minister. I think sometimes we think there's like a waiting room or there's a holding room or we're waiting till we're a certain caliber of Christian, which is not even a real thing, right? And um, I think sometimes that comes from our performance-driven culture, right? The self-help industry says, First do this, and then you can live your life. First get rid of anxiety, and then go be your best self. First lose the weight, and then do this. In our Christian walk, it can sound like, first I need a big house, and then I can host a joy group. Or first I need to read through the whole Bible, and maybe three times, and then I can share my faith with my coworker. But the problem with this type of thinking is where's the line? This type of thinking would be like saying, I need to be mature, is the same, I need to be mature to minister, is the same thing as saying something like, I need a six pack and then I'll go work out. (laughs) That doesn't make sense. And there's no line. You could keep going and saying, well, like what, 10 years of Christian, 13, I need to read the Bible forward, then backward, Hebrew, Latin, Greek? Where's the line? And then when you reach that line, is that where your confidence is? Because if that's where our confidence is, we have a misplaced identity. Our identity, it starts to come from our accomplishments. So really the call to ministry, the call to minister, is a call to put your identity in Christ. Because Christ tells us that we are loved, we are accepted, we are called, and we are qualified, not because of anything we do, but because he has qualified us. Um, Charles Spurgeon, I love his quote about this. He says, the child of God knows good works, do not make him acceptable to God, for he was acceptable to God by Christ long before he had any good works. When we're talking about ministry and good works, it's easy to get those two things backwards, that we're working for God instead of we're working because he loves us. And then in 1 Corinthians 3, 5, it tells us it's not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. So even if you do have a long serving resume of serving people, or even if you've been serving God for years, that's not where our value comes from. It comes from the Lord. And the Lord, if he loves us, which he does, and he has called us, he qualifies us. So that is the reason we are ready right now where you are sitting. And why does it even matter? Why does it matter that we're ready now? I mean, why not tomorrow or Monday or the next Monday or the first of next month, which happens to be tomorrow. But we're not talking about tomorrow. We're talking about right now today. Why does it matter that right now in your seats you are qualified and called to minister? Well, there's two reasons. The first is for the world. The world is crying out for light. And Jesus says that he is the light of the world. And then in Matthew 5, he says that you are the light of the world. Because Jesus lives in us, we reflect his light on this earth. And the world is crying out for light, crying out for peace, for freedom from addiction, for wholeness and restoration. And those are all the things that Jesus offers And I think sometimes it's easy, if you're a Christian sitting here today, to um, forget 
the need for light. When we're in light, we kind of forget that we need it because it's there. Um, we had a power outage a couple weeks ago in the middle of our toddler's bedtime routine. So we're getting our toddler ready for bed and all the lights go out and we realize we don't keep flashlights on hand. So if the world ends, don't come to our house because <laughs> we're ending too, <laughs> we're not prepared. And so all of a sudden it is pitch black. Our toddler is just, he's not even crying. He's sprinting around the house. <laughs> we're like, hopefully he's safe. But I'm running around lighting all of our scented candles because I just was desperate for that little bit of light even though our house now smelled like some sort of bath and body explosion. I needed that little bit of light to get our toddler to bed. The world is desperate for the light that we carry because of Jesus. Right now, they're desperate. And so that is the first reason. The second reason is for your soul. For the sake of your soul, it is important that we're equipped to minister today. Pastor Steve Merle he said that maturity comes through ministry. So if we want our soul to grow and mature, then maybe the answer is ministry. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling a little stuck relationally, emotionally, or something else. I don't know. Maybe one of the ways God wants to work through that to get you unstuck is through the call to serve. Just maybe. So um, I thought since we are called today to get equipped to minister, why not get some tools in our tool belt right now today? And who better to look at than Jesus himself? So we're gonna take a look at a story of Jesus when he is ministering a day in the life of his ministry in Mark 6. And just to set the stage here, what has happened is Jesus has taken his 12 closest friends and followers called the disciples, and he has sent them out to minister, to pray for people, to heal the sick. And meanwhile, Jesus has been teaching the gospel. He's been praying for people, healing the sick, casting out demons. It's been a busy leading up to this day of ministry. And the disciples have just come back from all of that work with the news to Jesus that his friend, John the Baptist, had been killed. Okay, so that's kind of where we're meeting Jesus. Not a rosy, fun, wonderful, easy breezy, sleep until nine type of day. So in Mark six, it says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, so they're hungry, um, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. I am an introvert. If I'm leaving a party, I am leaving. I don't want anyone following me. Stay in your party house. I want to go alone, okay? This is what Jesus and his followers are doing. They want to be alone. But the crowd got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed, he saw the crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countrysides and buy themselves something, something to eat. But Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year wage. Are we to go spend all that on bread and give it to them to eat? 
How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat in hundreds and fifties, taking the loaves and fish. He looked up to heaven. Jesus gave thanks, broke the loaves. He gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied. So the first tool I think that we see Jesus use to be effective in his ministry was perspective. The first tool we see is perspective. Let's back up a little bit before this whole miracle happened. Jesus was hungry. He was likely tired and maybe a little bit sad. It had been a busy leading up to this moment. And I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry and tired and maybe a little sad, you can find me in my bed with some ice cream watching Great British Baking Championship, okay? My phone is off. I don't want to look at email, text messages, nothing. Hopefully my child is sleeping soundly in bed. I don't want to be bothered even by my own sweet family. And so Jesus is finding himself hungry, maybe sad and a little tired, definitely busy. He's looking for some solitude. But in verse 34, we see that he looks at the crowds and he has compassion. In this very inconvenient time, Jesus has his focus on what the Father is doing. And what the Father sees are people. And Jesus sees people and he has compassion. That is where his focus is. And later we also see Jesus' perspective. The disciples come to Jesus and say, there's no food, send the people away. Because the disciples were limited in their perspective. They were fully human. All they saw was no bread, we're hungry, send them away where we know that there is bread. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You guys don't see what I see. I have a perspective that is not of this world. I see what my father is capable of. You are seeing the physical limitations of your situation, but I know that with God there are no limitations on this situation because the, my father can do the impossible. My father can do what you can't even imagine right now in this moment, okay? So that is the perspective that Jesus is bringing into ministry. His focus, his vision, his limitations, which are none, are directly reflective of the Father. His perspective is on what God, his Father, is doing and how God sees. So how do we get this type of perspective? How do we live day in and day out with compassion? Well, maybe the first thing some of us need to do is to take a break from social media. And not because we're saying anything rude or bitter or anything or posting anything inappropriate, right? But because we're allowing that to shape how we view the world around us. We're allowing that to shape how we view the people in our lives, to shape how we view the people who are on our friend list. Because even though they're on our friend list in this virtual world, they're still people. They're still our neighbor. They have not been disconnected as our neighbor. They're still a human that God created. And so we need to go to God's word and say, God, what do you say about the people in my life and he says that they are loved. They are called by me. I love them. I made them. I know their name. I know the number of hairs on their head and I want you to have that love for your neighbor. That's the way I want you to see. 
We need to tune in to how God sees people because when we see people, then we see need. And when we see need, we see the opportunity to minister. Do you go through your day thinking about what you need all the time? And I'm not talking about, obviously, we have certain things that we need. We need food on the table and water to drink. But are you consumed with your insecurities, with the things you need to feel good? Or are you focused on the needs of others around you? Are you focused on what the world needs? Do you see God's mission or yours throughout your day? Um, I will never forget this story. I was getting ready, I was a tween, getting ready to go to a birthday party. I was very anxious because I knew I was gonna be um, kind of left out in the crowd that this birthday party was all about. You know, ever have to prepare for an event, you're like, I don't even know who I'm gonna talk to at this thing. And so I was having a full-on meltdown, tears streaming down my face, (laughs) hyperventilating, and my mom looked at me, and I'll never forget this. She said, Rebecca, When you get to that party, look for the girl who feels like you feel inside. So what my mom was doing was taking my perspective off of my insecurities and fixing them on the world around me and maybe what God wanted to do at that party. So the first tool Jesus has given us is perspective. The next one is people. Jesus, son of God, could have done all of this on his own. He didn't need the disciples, you guys. He could have come and done his thing all on his own. But he was surrounded by disciples, and he was ministering to a crowd of people. He had people around him. Why does it matter that we have people around us when we minister? Because we're not mature. Nathaniel and I learned a lot climbing up that mountain as we watched people come down with the tools that were right for the hike. When you are around people, you learn what tools you need to be effective in the area you are trying to serve. What this might look like in real life is maybe you have a four-year-old and they're having some big feelings and you just don't know how to handle that in a way that's going to help their little soul, or they have, you know, a weird question about God, because those come up. What it looks like in real life is going to your joy group and saying, hey, how do you guys handle this? What did you do in this situation? Or what do you think? Or maybe you have a coworker, and whether it's on Zoom or in real life, right, and they're going through a hard time, and you want to pray for them, but you don't know how. Maybe this looks like going to someone in your joy group or going to someone in the community and saying, like, what tools would you use in this situation? How would you pray for them in a way that's not going to make them feel uncomfortable? How would you do this? The second reason it's great to have people around us when we're ministering is to celebrate. I can imagine after the miraculous multiplication of the loaves and fishes, Jesus and his disciples were stoked. And it's way more fun to celebrate things when you're with people. I've had some great days and then I, you know, drive home from work in my car and it's a one-person dance party, which is great, but I want to share that with someone. And same with grief. When we're going through something hard when we're ministering to someone else, it's a lot more manageable when we have people around us. So the first tool we learned about was perspective. The second was having community and people. And the third one is that Jesus had perseverance in his spirit. This is the third tool Jesus used to be effective in ministry. Um, In verse 35, it tells us that the day grew late. What I imagine was already a pretty long, inconvenient day 
grew late and everyone is hungry. It's like the five o'clock hour when dinner is not close to being prepared and you are hungry, but it's far away. You just wanna go to bed all at the same time. That's kind of how they might've been feeling, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He then tells the disciples to go ask how many bread and fish they have, and then we see the multiplication. He had perseverance. The disciples did too. They could have heard Jesus say, no, we're not gonna send the people away, and the disciples could have said, well, okay, we're gonna go away. They could have, and they didn't. Perseverance is the resolve to say no matter what. It's having a no matter what in your spirit. I uh, love to research workout plans um, obsessively. I'll have multiple tabs open on my internet browser and find the best one. And then I will circle my start date on my calendar and I'll write all the workouts that I'll do for the whole month. And I'll even tell myself, Becca, this is gonna be hard. You know you're not gonna wanna wake up at five in the morning, but it's gonna be hard for the first two days and then it's gonna be great. You're gonna be strong after two or three days of working out. You're gonna be able to lift 30 pounds. And so what happens? Without fail, and my husband will tease me relentlessly about this, without fail, I will get to day three and then something that's not in the plans will come up and I will quit. So I've started probably 30 different workout programs and I'm not exaggerating, okay? And what happens then? I don't get to see any of the results because I didn't persevere. And when I do stop, I say, oh, it was the workout program. It wasn't me. I'm not the one not sticking to it. It was the wrong program. And I think we can get this mentality in ministry. We think, oh, it might be hard when I first step out of my comfort zone but then it's gonna be like easy breezy. And um, it's not. There are things that come up that are hard. Or we think, it's not me. I'm not the reason that this is feeling hard. It's uh, that person. Or it's that church. Or it's that thing. And maybe God is calling us to persevere through that whatever hard circumstances it is, and also prepare that it's gonna be hard down the road. It's gonna be mundane too sometimes, but the thing about persevering is then you get to have the result. You get to celebrate at the end. You get to see the fruit of that. In um, Galatians 6, 9, it says, so let us not allow to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Jesus and his disciples got to see the miracle happen because they didn't quit. I don't know about you, but I wanna see miracles in my life. I don't wanna just live an average life. I wanna see miraculous things happen. And so to do that, it requires perseverance and the resolve not to quit, that no matter what, I will follow God. No matter what, I'm committed to God's mission in the world. James 1.4 says, let perseverance finish its work so that you be, may be mature, lacking nothing. So this also plays into that whole maturity piece we were talking about earlier. Um, I wanna share an example with you. There's a picture of them, I think. Um, this is a family that I worked for a few years ago. The middle is Lisa, and then her husband, Gonzo, and their daughter, Isabel. I was an aide for them and their family a few years ago. Um, Isabel had a metabolic condition 
called Elchad. She passed away to be with Jesus when she was uh, 19 years old, so two years ago. I was with her when she was 16. She had this condition from birth, and it led them to have about 300 days in the hospital, um, in and out, 67-ish visits to the hospital, okay? So their lives are lived in and out of this constant state of stress, of not knowing if their daughter was going to see another day of hospital rooms, which are not fun, unless you're having a baby, but um, not fun, of having to do their jobs online way before it was like the thing to do. But I, they're a Christian family and I worked for them and so I would visit Isabel at the hospital at times and when I got there, I would talk to the nurse and learn that Lisa and Gonzo already knew the nurse's like life story every single time. Like on the third time I went with them, the first time I went with them, if they had been there a week, if they had been there two hours. They had already learned about the nurse in the hospital. They had already been ministering and building that relationship. And they would often offer to pray for people who were working in the hospital. They would serve as greeters at their church. And when things got really hard, they would, you know, serve less frequently, okay? And serve maybe a little bit more when it got easier. But it wasn't like a I'm clocking in and clocking out kind of thing for them. It was their lifestyle to minister to other people. When Isabel's bus would pull up to take her to school, Lisa, her mom, would jump on and she knew all the kids' names and knew what they liked and knew if they had a test coming up. Because it's not our ability. It's not, Lisa and Gonzo would tell you this, it's not their ability. It's Jesus living in them that gave them this compassion and perseverance in the midst of really trying times. And I'm not telling you guys their story to compare lives or anything. I just thought that they were a fantastic example of what it looks like to minister with perseverance. They have grit. And if we take our lives and just look for the easy pockets in our lives as opportunities to minister and to be equipped to minister, that's not really going to add up to a lot of life because life is hard. So if you're just looking for the easy pockets, there's not gonna be a lot left. We need to be ministering with perseverance that no matter what, I am committed to Jesus. Even when Isabel passed, they were committed to following Jesus and serving in their community. And it is possible to do the hard work of grief and the good mental health work, right, in community and also allow Jesus to use you in that. They're not mutually exclusive. So Jesus has shows, showed us the tools of perspective, of having people around him, and having perseverance. And I want to end with this. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each of us have received a gift, use it to serve one another as um, stewards of God's varied grace. We are not made on Planet Camino as clones by God. <laughs> we are made uniquely. God made you. As I was sitting here in worship, I heard um, Zephaniah 3.17 that says, God rejoices over you with singing. Did you know that? You make God glad. He made you, and he made you not only just to scroll and then die, but he made you and called you out for a good, good purpose. 
the purpose to be his love, the glory of God living in us on this earth, to be the light of the world. And he made you unique. You're not like your neighbor. You get to use the gifts God has given you in your life and the passions he's given you too. So here's some next steps. Where do we go from here? Well, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I wanna be equipped. I would like some tools in my tool belt to be equipped to minister. We have something called Next Track. It takes place at the 9 a.m. service every week. And week two actually talks about like your spiritual gifts. So if that's something you are like, I wanna know, where am I spiritually gifted? I wanna encourage you to check that out. You can jump in at any week. There's also um, a Joy Church app. You can go to joyeugene.com app and download it. And under equip, there's a lot of great resources. There's a podcast so that you can continue to get the tools you need as you're on this journey of discipleship. Next, ask someone you know to show you how. I got to ask Lisa and Gonzo, how do you do this when it, life gets really hard and it hurts? How do you do this? Or it could be as simple as saying, hey, Karen Flom, how do you make coffee on a Sunday morning? It can be so simple. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're involved in ministry and you know that you're serving your neighbors and you're praying for the people around you. You're serving in the body of Christ. Maybe it's a calling to pass on what you know, to give the tools you have to other people around you. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I am equipped. I kind of know what to do and I know what my gifts are. Maybe it's go time. Maybe it's time to live into that calling Monday through Saturday and not just on Sunday. Because the minute we leave this room, it's go time. And so I want to give us some um, time to respond to the Lord. I believe that the Lord, he speaks to each of us, you know, and so um, maybe he's stirring something in your heart right now. So just all those racing thoughts, all the, all, all the things we bring in to, to mornings and days, all the things you're thinking about, like what am I having for dinner, all those things, just let them settle for a moment. Just quiet your heart and your mind. Ask the Lord for help. I have to do that all the time. God, help me just hear your voice. Help me quiet all of my focus so I can see what your focus is. And if you would just bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Jesus, I just thank you so much for every single person sitting in this room, Lord. Thank you for your love for them that was so big that you gave your life for us, for every single person here, God. Thank you that you have made us uniquely gifted to serve in your kingdom and that you have a purpose that is far greater for ourselves than our own mind can even imagine. Thank you that you want to do miraculous, life-changing things through us that you wanna use us as vessels of your goodness and your pure kindness and mercy and love, Jesus. I just pray for everyone here, no matter where we are in our journey, Lord, that you would just speak 
to us, that you would give us just the next baby step, the next step that would take us out of our comfort zone to become effective ministers of your gospel. Give us the specific tools we need, God, to do that whether it's making coffee or just talking to our neighbor, Lord, would you give us those tools, God, and give us the courage to do it, Lord. And for anyone here who is going through a really trying time right now, God, I just pray for perseverance in their bones, Lord, that you would be their comfort, God. Thank you that we don't have to do it alone, that we are never alone, and we don't have to just grit our teeth and get through life, God but that you are with us in those hard times. Lord, I pray a comfort over every person here who is going through one of those times right now. And would you open their eyes to see how you wanna use them in the middle of that storm, God, to be a light, like a lighthouse, Father. And you can keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, okay, that's cool. And you're not a Christian. This message was kind of for people who are Christians, right? So maybe you're thinking like, I didn't even understand that, but I want to follow Jesus. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And it's okay if it didn't all make sense. That's why we take baby steps with Jesus. But I want to give you the opportunity to follow Jesus if that's what you want today. You see, God created us, and he created us with a great purpose for our lives. But when we did wrong, when we've hurt other people, we broke that relationship with the Lord. And so God the Father sent Jesus, who lived and walked on this earth perfectly, and then died and rose again and conquered death so that we could have a restored relationship with him. And Jesus... We believe when you say yes to Jesus, he saves our souls. And he not only does that, he transforms our life. When you put your faith and hope in Jesus, he changes you and he saves you. So um, if this is something that you wanna do, if you wanna take that next step with Jesus, would you just raise your hand? And this, this isn't like, a magic thing. It's just a way to have that courage and take the next step. All right. Now, if everyone would just repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to save my life. I am sorry for the ways I have hurt others. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.